We get it. You want to acquire the cars consumers want. You want top dollar for every one of those sales. Carfax can help with that. Only Carfax has the most accident info, damage info, and service info. Critical information you need to acquire the right cars. The info you need to provide transparency and build trust with your customers. No one has as much accident, damage, and service info as Carfax. Go to CarfaxOnline.com to make sure you have access to the most info out there. Welcome to the Used Car News Podcast. Used Car News is your top source for fast and reliable news that car dealers can rely on for this evolving industry. Here are this month's top stories. Car shoppers undeterred by auto strike. Wholesale auto prices see seasonal dip. And charging station safety issues hinder EVs. Plus, Dave Blake, the new executive director from the Independent Auction Group, to talk about the auction business. Hello, everyone. My name is Jeffrey Gallant, a managing editor of Used Car News, and this is the Used Car News podcast. Uh, this month, we've got a great guest, um, someone that if you're in the auction business or you're involved in the auction industry, you'll know his name. This is Dave Blake. Now, Dave Blake started out in um, New Hampshire as a GM at Auto Auction New Hampshire. Then he moved on from there to DAA Seattle, which is a, just a short move, you know, on the distance wise, um, <laughs> working for the McConkie Group. Now, the most recent news here last month is that Dave, who's been a long member of the co-chair of the Independent Auction Group, is now its new executive director with the retirement of Lynn Weaver. Anyways, a lot long introduction. How are you doing, Dave? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, Thanks for being here. So for people who don't know you or are only kind of familiar with you, tell us how you got in the auto auction business because you started out way over there in the Northeast. Yeah, I stumbled into it. I think that's a story we hear often. At the time, I was working a few different jobs because I had found out that my girlfriend at the time was pregnant with my son. And, you know, life was, you know, 21-year-old kid working several different jobs was wow. always on the maintenance side, janitorial types of jobs and uh, working, actually working at a gas station, pumping gas. I was always around cars. I loved cars as a teenager, working around them, working on them, going to the racetracks and things. So my career in the auto business started before I even knew that that's what it was going to be. And I saw this, uh, there was this auction that was opening around that time and trying to consolidate the amount of time I spent working. There was a better paying job. Uh, looking wow. for a janitor, maintenance guy at this auto auction. Especially with a little one on the way. That's a that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It was interesting about that story. Is I I started moved out of my dad's house into our first home, it was a mobile home, and mm-hmm. we prepared it. And it was you know everything was fresh carpet and fresh paint. It was just so beautiful. We were working on it for several months. We moved in there on a Sunday. I started working at the auction on Monday, and my son was born Wednesday. So, you know, I was like, before that, I was a concert goer with hanging out with the buddies and all of a sudden (laughs) (laughs) living at dad's house and all of a sudden life changed real fast. So the the Deluca is is where I cut my teeth and Bill Deluca was my first mentor and learned so much from business and management and the bit and the industry. He took a liking to me early and provided a, a lot of opportunity. I was the second employee there. Wow. Um, so it was there, started in November, and then the first auction was in January. 
And they and had this a lot is of auction in New Hampshire. What year was this? This was uh, the first auction was in 95. So it was November of 94. Gotcha. And they were in the auto industry for years. They right. retail right. dealerships and the floor plan business with auto use, banking business, real estate. And, you know, just being a young guy and working hard and trying to build good relationships. And Billy took a liking to me and just carved a path and spent time with me and provided me these opportunities to move up through the auction business. And one of the things that we had done early is we had gone to a convention together and it was the first time we went to an NAAA convention. We really didn't know what we we're doing up okay. early, have a coffee. Let's go to these meetings. And the first meeting we went into was an Easter chapter meeting and who was sitting at the end of the table was Lynn Weaver. So we don't even know if we're supposed to go in, (laughs) opens up the door, we walk in. I don't know. I'm probably, by this time, I'm probably, you know, 23, 24 years old. Um, I went from the maintenance position to, you know, up to check-in. They say, you want to check in some cars? I said, sure. What is that? They had hired a GM from another auction down south so that they could learn the auction business. They're brilliant business people. So, you know, from a strategy standpoint, they had a real good idea of what they wanted to do on this property, but did nobody had, you know, background in servicing the auction business from the auction side. And, you know, that just slowly through all of those different positions it brought me to the opportunity to be a GM at 30. And so by that time I was really, I figured out how to get involved by putting my hand up when they asked for a volunteer on the chapter and chapter president. And, you know, just, you know, after the opportunity presented itself and, I received the GM position. I was shocked actually, because I couldn't believe it, right? High school kid don't have, you know, really don't have any college. Fortunately for Billy and his family, they saw something in me, you know, and just developed what they had to work with. And I was just shocked that that was where I was at 30 years old. And that relationship in the industry continued with just meeting people and staying active and met Charlotte and Lynn and during Charlotte's presidency within the NAAA, they had asked me to join the IAG board and sit in as a co-chair because she was serving as president at the time. And I guess I did an all right job for a few years. So then when she came back, they had asked me if I wanted to stay on. And that's where that kind of trio relationship started with the independent auction group. What a blessing that, like you say, no experience, young kid. And then to start with a family that's good at what they do, good in the industry, getting in the bottom floor of this auction. So you're learning as they learn and you're learning everything. I assume at that point, you're not just being plugged into a position. You're learning the whole business. Yeah. It was everything from check-in to lot to detail, transportation, operations, arbitration, you know, sales. I was fortunate, you know, operations manager to assistant GM to GM and and there was a promise that there was going to be development there. So I'm super grateful that Billy did that for me and that family did that for me. For sure. And that's that typical relationship thing with independence. You know, I mean, an independent auction like that, that you, no offense to corporates, there's huge benefits for being in a big chain, but in the independence, to be able to learn all those things probably wouldn't have had the same opportunity somewhere else. Yeah. It speaks to the characteristics of the independence, right? And that, that love for people, the, you know, the ability to, to navigate that, build people, give them opportunity. You know, it's part of that independent community. It's one of the things I love about it. Right. And once you're in, as long as you, you do more right things than you do wrong, then you could really, 
have a tremendous amount of opportunity. As I was involved in these associations and serving on different committees within NAAA, I had the opportunity to meet quite a few people and identified who was influential. And I remember watching uh, the McConkie Auction Group and kind of what their reputation was in the industry. And our auction was a part of ServNet. So there was a, you know, deeper, you know, kind of more intimate understanding of, of those particular folks and how they navigate the business. And I got a call one day about this uh, auction opening up in Seattle. I was about, you know, I was 40 years old. I was thinking about in my lifelong year at AA&E, which would have been wonderful. I miss, I miss them to this day. Um, but for me as a human, as a, as a man, as a person, I was anxious to kind of see what the, what the world looked like outside of that. You know, I didn't know if how I performed inside that role at AA&E because I knew where all the light switches were right. and the support that I received. If, you know, if I had an independence of success or if it was because of my environment and surroundings, and if that was even, you know, applicable in and in a, with another company. And so when I got that call and found out that Conkey was opening up an auction in Seattle, which was where their family started their first auction, which today the old location is actually a Mannheim location, but they weren't present in the Seattle market. They had the Spokane sale and a few others at the time, you know, that was a tough swallow. I'm thinking, my gosh, I wouldn't want to be in the same market as the DeLucas because they, they do such a good job. They have such a great reputation in that area. 3000 miles away is <laughs> my gosh. I mean, what a change, but I, my mind was open to an adventure and uh, you know, we came out and knew Bob pretty well and met the rest of the family and, the auction opened up in 2013. We started talking a month or so after it was open. And next thing you know, it's January 1st of 14. I'm on a plane with a couple suitcases and the house is getting sold and we're moving out to Seattle. How was that for your family? Because that's obviously a humongous move. <laughs> it was an adjustment. You know, my son was in college at the time. So he came out here for a little bit and then realized he really wanted to go back to New England and finish school with that, his friends. Yeah. My daughter was fresh from <laughs> high school. Uh, she adapted pretty quickly. My son lives out here now. Both the kids live out here now. Mm. Had friends moved to the area. So it's been, it'll be 10 years in January. So yeah. we, I know where the supermarket is. I know some of the back <laughs> roads now, you know, all the different names of the towns that I couldn't put together when I first got here and kind of figure that out and uh, have a better understanding. So everybody's, everybody's pretty settled in. I'd say my daughter's, my daughter's a mix of East Coast and West Coast because there's definitely a difference culture-wise. Oh, I bet. Um, and my son, my son, he he runs a locksmith business that we have an affiliation with out in this market that he's growing and hopefully growing into other markets. So good for him. That's great. And I love the idea of like you understanding, you know, the challenge of as much as you did and learned with the Delucas, understanding you were kind of leaving the nest if you're gonna make this move. So what was it like when you obviously there had to be a little trepidation about going. And now can you do this again? Right. And how did that go? Fear and uncertainty. But I looked at it, you know, I'm a sober guy, right? So you learn as a technique in life, whether it's alcohol or it's other things, it's like you just try to get up and do good and do the right things that one day at a time. Right. And history shows you if you do that, then you'll be okay. So as simple as that sounds, that's what the process was, is, you know, coming in and 
learning the team and learning the area. I think the most difficult thing about moving to another sale is one of the real benefits I had is I had long relationships as the lot kid that then was the general manager and those dealers I was servicing on so many different levels. I was able to have conversations right away and understand the characters of those folks. And the deal of community approaches the business a little bit different compared to that market out there. And I think that's what took from a business perspective, that's what took the most amount of time because I'm a relationship guy, you know, whether it's, you know, there's no label of customer or employee or family or neighbor. It's like, I'm a relationship person. So I thrive off of being able to establish those relationships. And I think that was the, the probably the biggest challenge. So if, if you can tell me a little bit about that challenge, the difference between the dealers, say in the Northeast and the Northwest uh, that you had to adjust to. I think that the approach from the auction on the wholesale side caters and is more generous to the dealer business practices in this wholesale market. And you can think about it in the way of the directness from somebody in New England, right? It's just like there's a directness. <laughs> you're going to know what they're thinking. No is no. And but people play by that understanding, right? Yeah. Um, there is a much more of a negotiation type of collaborative. We're both in this kind of deal together on the West Coast, and there's an expectation to approach it that way. Was that a huge adjustment for you, or or what's more natural to you? I assume growing up in the Northeast would be that would be more natural, or no? Yeah, I mean, I had to figure out. You know, I'm never a real. I mean, when I was younger, I was you know, more aggressive in my style, even, you know, as, as a leader or lack of leadership skill set, I guess it seemed to work for me, but I was most interested in developing that style, you know, aligning my, my leadership style and what I want, how I wanted to approach things with what the McConkie auction group spends time on from a certain leadership culture standpoint. I knew that that would stretch me and that I would grow as a leader in my approach. And, and that's exactly what happened. So it was humbling, right? A lot of the time. And there's been a tremendous amount of personal growth with that process because I just geek out about the leadership piece of it, right? Yeah. Like this be, right? You can be an effective leader, but also maybe not respected in the regard of from, you know, people that you are leading with the wrong approach, right? You can get the result a couple different ways, but to me, the lasting result is one where it's healthy and it's positive. It's transparency of love and support and, you know, things of that nature. That's the thing. You you went from a, a, the Northeast, but you had the area where these guys have been around. They're from that area. They've been around a long time. So you get to learn from them. Then you go to the McConkie and you're really in the same situation, totally different, but you got a family that's been around for a long time. So they know the culture and boy, you that servant leadership. Boy, you hear that from McConkie a lot. So that's excellent. So it seems like you're also, you're expanding. You know what I mean? You're getting, you're learning and growing as you do that. I would assume. That was a big part of the attraction, you know, for me, from a personal development perspective, Bill DeLuca was always supportive of, you know, me going to different programs like Dale Carnegie and things of that nature and bringing that into the business. McConkie aligned with principles and things like that and how he approached the business and they approached the business. So I knew that there would be a, an education and a development within that process for me as an individual, right? Both successful cultures and how they approach the Dela community. 
just a difference in style, you know. For sure, yeah. Which is as much regional, I guess, as anything, right? It totally is regional. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally regional. Excellent. So now, okay, you're comfortable. You're at DA Seattle, and um. You mentioned I want to go back to connect to the IAJ, the Independent Auction Group. You talked about early on, you were about raising your hand and volunteering. Kind of tell me about that process. What, why would you, especially when I think of the Northeast, I think, yeah, you're blunt and all this stuff and do you volunteer? So what was it about the volunteering or getting involved that appealed to you? For me, there's always been this kind of moving of the target forward right? It's, it's development, it's influence. I didn't know where those pieces would take me, but a lot of it was a deeper understanding of the industry. And Bob says all the time is, you know, staying relevant in order to stay relevant, you need to be able to understand what the climate and the change in the environment and what's available. So that deeper seat at the table and relationship with the association gives you that that inside, right? It's like the difference of going and watching or, you know, participating at a deeper level. I guess it was to grow my career, but I never really thought about it that way. I think that just happened through the process of involvement. There wasn't a strategic plan to to do so, but I was attracted to being able to influence the direction in which the industry, a small piece of it, you know, be a part of that community. And I was going to say, yeah, going and watching as opposed to participating, obviously that makes all the difference. And again, I've seen you as a co-chair of that. And you talked about how you got involved in the first place when Charlotte was president of NAAA. So you're in uh, IAGA and the co-chair. What did you learn as part of that group during your time as just on the on the board? I learned that, you know, that tenacity, flexibility, accountability, you know, skin in the game the grit, the localized decision-making, the characteristics that I experienced at AA&E as an independent mm-hmm. was shared characteristics throughout the independent community, right? It just, and there's a great opportunity with independents to adjust in any way that they feel that's appropriate to stay competitive, right? It's just, I love being in that group. I love being a part of and supporting that independent reputation, that independent approach to business. You know, I mean, all parts make up the entire industry, but the leg of the independence just has characteristics like the ones that I just explained. And it's got to be great to be able to have, to have that group, you know, becoming a part of the NAAA, that whole event, not just acknowledging the independence, all that, but actually being an involved part of that whole situation. Yeah, I think to understand the independence a little bit. And I mean, I've been doing this now 30 years. And there was a point within, I don't know, within the last few years that I thought, you know, that would be a really great transitional piece for me is to be able to, you know, have that position when Lynn was ready for that. Uh, So there was a little bit of that thought process with inside my mind. And then the timing had just come into play where, it just re- worked out really good for what McConkie is looking like for, as a generational change for the future. And with a shift for the independence, it just, it kind of all came together, which I think that's the way my life works all the time <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Is, you know, if it's uncomfortable, it doesn't mean that it's bad. And if there's fear and uncertainty surrounding it, that's normal. But those are the spaces that I personally, I thrive in. And I think that growth and that that opportunity 
I get excited about being a part of the serving the independents. And I think that with how hard they work and this ever changing and evolving industry, there's a lot we can bring to them as far as organizing and how we how we service them, what we provide that group. Let me go there for a second. If, if you thought about it, I know you're ju- just now in that position, but is there something that you thought if you sat back and thought, boy, if I had this position, maybe this is the direction I want to go, or this is the project or something, you know, some sort of project that you'd like to take to the IAG? Yeah, probably like 12 pages worth of brainstorming. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is is listening to the needs, right? Like as a director, I'm serving the members. Right. So right. I need to listen. I need to listen to them. And the independents are influenced by 20%, I'd say, of that independent community of the members. So what'll be one thing that'll be really important mm-hmm. to me, and I believe the group believes this too, is defining what an independent is, right? Mm. Like what that group is and identifying the members that should be a part of that group or at least making it available to them and then encouraging a deeper voluntary involvement. Outside, sure. I mean, the, so grateful for the 20% of the independents that really influence the approach forward and, you know, the progression and the strategy. But it's like at the auction, right? You want to reach out to the other ones, the, the ones that are quiet, the ones that might be sitting out there in the wings and identify the things that would benefit them and bring that strength and that unity into across the board, the whole group. And vice versa. I mean, what they can bring to the to the group, obviously. 100%. Now, yeah. it's you say who belongs to independence, because I thought about that. I thought, you know, over the years, we've seen like these small groups, like you have served that, you have these kind of, they're independents, but are they really independents? Is that the type of thing you're talking about? It's been just generalized statement, right? I mean, you had we had Mannheim and Odessa, and you know now America's is really a large element, right? And which was a lot of independence, right? So that's that's a separate leg within itself. You still look at it like this kind of three leg, but it's almost like a four leg. Now, when we look at NAAA as being you know the parent association. So I think that not only are we looking at how we do it and what we're going to do, that's something that is left now for us to identify because this consolidation of auctions and the digital space and, you know, it's part of the business now, right? These, some of these companies we might've thought were disruptors or their competitors, but where do they fit within this entire mix? And if we look at the last, 10 years, we've really seen a massive, the landscape has changed quite a bit. So there's a lot of opportunity there to think outside the way that we have in the past. One of the things that we did a few years ago, when we got to the point of deciding that we needed a director, everybody served in a voluntary role at that point, Lynn, Charlotte, and myself. And we had went through the process of a of a SWOT analysis and a focus group and and really looked at what that next phase should look like. And the, the decision by the group was to hire a director. And Lynn ended up receiving that appointment, but it was through multiple different candidates and talking through the process to see what made the most amount of sense. So I was proud to be a part of that. It used to be called the um, Independent Auction Association. All right. 
auto auction association. And, you know, there was a business out there that carried the same name. So we shifted the name to represent all. So it wasn't just one, you know, one single entity. So there was no brand confusion there. I was proud to be a part of that. When we get through this phase of identification and our character and what's important to us and how we want to move forward and how we're going to continue to provide support and services to the independents that help them stay relevant and grow with the industry and evolve with the industry is something that will be really important for us to do. And like I spoke to it a little bit is construct structure the group in a way that we have more formalized opportunities for volunteers. We have more formalized opportunities for these, you know, vendors or affiliate companies and companies that support the independents that are unique to the independents that maybe don't necessarily service the whole industry. So boards, committees, seats, looking at all of that and identifying is what we have the best way for us to continue going forward. And I think most minds and voices that I hear are pushing towards expanding that, right? Expanding, looking at terms, looking at what the responsibilities look like to serve. You know, that's where really what I, I hope to be a part of that, driving that forward. And hopefully with increasing the level of attraction of the independent auction group, members will increase the involvement and strengthen us because this independents are they're smart and like i said earlier they have tenacity and they're in the game and and they're working at it and they're ever changing with increasing expectations from the dealer community and commercial accounts so there's a lot to learn from how people navigate that there's a lot of similarities but there's there's also a lot of just really smart people out there business owners that have a lot to provide in a group like that so it's there's a, a unified expansion of this membership. That's excellent. And again, probably Dave, 10 years ago, maybe you couldn't talk like this because you wouldn't have all this stuff going on. You know what I mean? Where you do have kind of expanding independence, different areas that probably do offer you a way to get more input or more members and, and more, you know, a broader look at the industry, I think. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you look back 25 years ago and when simulcast was really becoming a thing in the lanes, it was it was a service to really support the expectation from the commercial accounts. And that became a regular, actually preferred style of business for the dealer community to purchase right. in that environment, right? That escalation of this online approach. And then there's outside the gate and there's all these other digital solutions that are in place now. So, I mean, the landscape, has completely changed. And so with that, there's other companies now that support the independent auctions that didn't exist, right? They weren't a part of that landscape. And, you know, I think about like a, a group like the Auction Academy, where now you're getting people, younger people or people in the industry to kind of think about these things. And that whole idea of the Auction Academy, I think it gets you thinking of involvement, you know, being meeting with people and getting involved in the wider industry from wherever that member of that class is in their little auction, they're going to see the wider industry. And hopefully some of those people will be some of the people that, you know, get involved in the IAG. Yeah. And that'll be partnerships like that'll be so important for us to stay within pace. 
Penny does an amazing job with Auction Academy peers and that group, but they're, they're, they're masters at bringing people together. And that program has really evolved and developed into something that it just continues to provide more opportunity for people to understand the business is just a tremendous amount of value in, in what they're doing. It's and as you say now, the timing now going up to your other role still, the timing, of course, with Meg leaving Las Vegas, and now I see Joe Lamans is basically replacing you as DA or general manager at DAA Seattle. Yeah. Um, that was good timing and, and for you and all this. Now your new role is vice president at McConkey Auction Group. What is going to be your role for that? Well, I mean, first, I'm fortunate to work with an organization that's able to create something and adjust for and accommodate. Yeah. Like for where my position is, there's value in the involvement from an industry perspective, but there's other projects, right. Ancillary type businesses that really would like to get off the ground and get going. So there'll be more to come there, but the company has been very supportive of the, and accommodating so that I can fulfill, you know, in a proper way, the expectations of the independent group. So that has been priority from the company and priority for me. So it's just amazing that we've carved, we've carved that opportunity out. The simple answer for me right now is through this transition with Joe Lamont and the GM role. I mean, he's a, he's an operator comes with experience his whole entire career. He's, he's been in the, in the auction business early on commercial account side, covered a lot of areas. So there's an independence and just an effective leadership style that he has that there's really not a need for my involvement there, but through this transitional stage, just ways that I'm helping the organization. And that's what I love about this is we've done this in a healthy way to make sure that the people that work within this organization, our customer base, that we, you know, that we're strategically making the shifts and changes. Excellent. Boy, excellent. It's great. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like it's a great career and you're not, you know, you're almost like starting all over again. So anything else you want people to know? Maybe people who are interested in the IAG want to know more about it. Um, anything else you'd like to add? Well, first of all, I mean, I'm super approachable and might contact me, text me, call me. I'm excited about things to come, but you know, sometimes we think about something when I talk with people first time going to conference, for example, I met a gentleman when we were just out at NAAA and, you know, there's an ask of like, how do we get involved or how does this whole thing work? It's just a matter of lifting up your hand and saying, hey, is there something for me to do? And I would encourage people to get involved in that piece, to take some of their time. I mean, in a director role, my responsibilities are to focus on that and make sure that the people that are volunteering their time can focus on the thing that they do on the daily. And that's run these companies and run their businesses. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is a sacrifice of time. That's what it's volunteering, but I would encourage people to go to meetings. When you go to convention, ask questions, build relationships, get to know people. For the most part, what I've seen in the industry is, everybody's available for a conversation. It's a lot less complicated than it may seem. And if you're a member, right, or you're involved in this industry, it's a place that you want to be a part of to understand what this looks like going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think about my path and it's like walk in a room and identify whether or not you can be there, right? Pick up the phone when you meet somebody, 
in the industry or something that you heard them say and it was encouraging or you related to and reach out to that individual is such a relationship business. Yes. And I think for the independents, there's a need to stay flexible and pliable. The same things that brought these businesses to the point that they're at. And there's a lot of brilliant business owners out there in the independent community. I think there's there has to be an openness to adjust and change and incorporate other elements of this business in order to compete with what these other these other groups are actually doing and what they're offering the dealer community. Stay flexible and be open to understanding what what you need to do in order to be relevant. That's great. And so actually we're kind of ending where you started about raising your hand. And folks, if you listen to Dave's story, he's a guy who raised his hand to get involved and now look where he's at. Now he's leading independence and hoping that next Dave Blake will raise his hand or raise her hand and come in and be a part of this. So, Dave, I really appreciate over the years, we've, as you know, we've spoken many times. You are approachable because I've ambushed you at conferences often and you're always got time for me and I appreciate it. So I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for the industry. And, and most of all, I'm happy for our listeners to get a chance to, to know you better and to know about the independent auction group. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate the time both. You know, you, Colleen, Jeff, yeah, you're easy and easy enough to talk to. In the ongoing United Auto Workers strike against Detroit automakers, most car shoppers don't expect it to affect their car buying decisions, according to a survey by Car Gurus and AutoList. 40% of respondents see no impact, with 32% uncertain. However, Toyota and the used car market might see increased demand. The strike, ongoing since September 14th of this year, has limited production but a push by automakers to increase popular vehicle availability softens the blow. Concerns focus on used car pricing and availability as the strike continues, leading some to consider buying used or delaying purchases. Toyota has become the top choice for car buyers since the strike began. Average wholesale used vehicle prices rose for the second consecutive month in September, but have fallen thus far in October and seem to be reflecting their typical seasonal decline as the holidays approach despite the UAW strike, according to ADESA Chief Economist Tom Contos. Total retail used vehicle sales and certified pre-owned or CPO sales were strong in September as consumers continued to seek more affordable vehicles in light of high inflation and interest rates. According to ADESA U.S. Analytical Services' monthly analysis of auction industry used vehicle prices by vehicle model class, wholesale prices in September averaged 15171 up 1.7% compared to August, down 2.7% relative to September of 22, and up 36.6% versus pre-pandemic September of 2019. Geotab, a connected vehicle technology firm, released new research which indicates that charging station safety is a consideration among women and could be hindering electric vehicle adoption in Canada and the United States. The research, which surveyed more than 1,000 men and women in Canada and the U.S. respectively, indicates safety concerns such as well-lit, less remote charging stations may be a key consideration in EV adoption in both Canada and the U.S. Of the survey respondents, 46% of Canadian women and 33% of U.S. women are considering an EV as their next vehicle, while actual EV ownership statistics reveal a stark disparity. In Canada, men account for 74% of EV owners, and in the U.S., 72% of EV owners are men, 
indicating there are barriers for women in embracing EVs. Geotab's research established a compelling correlation between safety concerns surrounding charging location and EV ownership, revealing notable gaps between the intent to purchase and actual adoption. Thanks for listening to the Used Car News Podcast. Each month, we'll bring you fast and reliable news that car dealers can rely on for this evolving industry. This podcast is a production of the BG Ad Group. Make sure to share us on social media and like and follow wherever you get your podcasts. We get it. You want to acquire the cars consumers want. You want top dollar for every one of those sales. Carfax can help with that. Only Carfax has the most accident info, damage info, and service info. Critical information you need to acquire the right cars. The info you need to provide transparency and build trust with your customers. No one has as much accident, damage, and service info as Carfax. Go to CarfaxOnline.com to make sure you have access to the most info out there. Want to save up to 80% on steep new tire prices? Premium used tires, like used cars, are a safe and affordable option when purchased from reputable sellers like Champ Tires. With more than 40,000 tires in stock, all you need to do is go to champtires.com to find the exact size, brand, and model and tread depth you need. Every tire is inspected and air tested, and shipping is free. This savings tip works when you need to replace one, two, or even all four tires. Shop at champtires.com today.